At First Baptist Church, our mission is to follow our Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others to a joyful life with Him. Our hope is that you will encounter Jesus Christ in such a way that you will have joyful news to go and tell. Amen and amen. If you would, find in your bulletin Galatians 2, 4 through 8. In a moment, we're going to read this aloud together. All week long, we've been studying Galatians 2, 1 through 10, and we're going to take this portion for the sermon today, uh, 2, 4 through 8. So if you would, stand with me, and we'll read this aloud. This, then, is the text for today. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. May God bless the reading of his word. There's one particular way that Satan operates in this world that I'm sure we have all seen. We've likely experienced this in recent days, but in God's sovereignty, God has allowed Satan and his lackeys to linger until Jesus Christ comes back again, and they have many tricks. And one of their tricks is they find their ways into all the places that we disseminate information and they disrupt it. You know, often we think about Satan and his lackeys lingering in the cold, dark alleys of suburb, or urban centers. And they're certainly there, but Satan and his lackeys find their way into the places that we speak into the information that gets shared. So a normal pattern that happens is truth will be taken and twisted into such a way that it sounds like truth, but in reality, it only takes a hint of that truth and places it into a disguise so that the truth is distorted into a falsehood. These are half-truths covered in camouflage that eventually just become whole lies once you're able to peer past the camouflage and see what is ultimately there. And so this happens in all corners of the globe, that as information is disseminated, it is twisted into something that is untrue. One of the worst places that we find this and we see this is when it happens in the pulpits of our churches. But so it is, across the globe, 
where evil finds its way in and the truth of the gospel is distorted into something different. Now, we're gonna look at uh, four different ways this happens in Galatians 2, and let's start here. And let's start with the lie, and the lie that many of us experience, even in ourselves. The first lie is that people are the problems. And the other people that are in your life, they are the problem. They are something to be dealt with. They are the issue. That the people are the problems and those people as the problems are a cause to be avoided. But look down with me and let's work through this together. Galatians 2, we'll look at verses four and verse seven. First in verse, verse four, but it was because of the false, um, excuse me, verse two, excuse me, verse two, go to two. Um, because of a revelation that went up, um, it was because of a revelation that I went up and submitted to them the gospel which I preach. So there's the first thing, the gospel which I preach. And then verse seven, go down with me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel. Would you see this, that, that Paul has been entrusted with the gospel and in this, there is this purpose. You see, here's the truth, that in Jesus Christ, you are no longer lost in Jesus Christ, you are no longer without a way. In fact, the opposite is true. In Christ, you now have a way and you now have a purpose and this purpose lines up directly with the people that God has brought into your life. So I want you to notice as, as Paul is writing this to the churches of Galatia, he, he's gonna highlight several of these half-truths that permeate the church then and now. And he begins to, to till those up for us so that we can find the truth of the gospel. And so here he says, I've been entrusted with this for a purpose. And the backstory is what we learned last week, that Paul, who had once been persecuted, or excuse me, once was persecuting the church, had a completely changed course by the hand of God that when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, his life was completely changed and in this relationship with the Lord, he had an eternal purpose that was for a cause and a kingdom that mattered. That before he was lost in the temporal, but now he knew the eternal work of the Christ. And what we see and know, when you meet Jesus, it transforms everything in your life and it fills you with new purpose. You see, there's half-truths that resonate in our minds or something like this, that we don't matter and that the work we do doesn't matter and the people in our lives don't matter. This whole thing is a lie. Every child of God matters. Every child of God has a significant role to play in the kingdom of God. For Paul, it was to take this gospel that he had been given to the Gentiles. And, and your role likely is not the same as his, but the gospel of Jesus Christ affects your life in such a way that you will bless other people. God has given you grace, God has given you blessing so that it pours out of your life onto the people that God brings into your life. Your purpose is found in those people, pouring into people that which God has given you. I want you to think back with me some of those stories of the Apostle Paul, one of which where he, he's, he's literally physically chained to a Roman guard. And as he's chained to a Roman guard, he, he isn't worried about thoughts of how to pick that lock. 
In fact, the opposite is true. He begins to light up because there's purpose in this person. God has even chained him to a Roman guard so that he could bless and share that which he has received from heaven. And even in those most dire circumstances, there was opportunity for purpose because there was a relationship to be had. Someone that he could pour out the grace of God over and into. See, it's the same thing with the Galatians, that Paul had started those churches and, and, and he had left in his missionary work, but, but he wrote this letter back to them out of that relationship and in them found great purpose and connection. He saw these relationships, whether it was a, a man he was chained to or the, the churches that he helped start, th- those relationships were ordained of God and for God, placed in his life by God for purpose. See, one of the things that Satan will whisper to us is that the people are the problem. That these people and the others in your life get in the way. Or that that people that come in and out of your life are, are a lost cause. But in the kingdom of God, the people are our purpose. We're in this together. And this is why Jesus tells us and, and draws our attention to the second greatest commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. And your purpose isn't to work on you, but to love the people that God has brought into your life. And in fact, that is the best way to work on you. So lie number two, as we work down through Galatians 2, is something along these lines that your salvation requires specific requirements that you must meet. Look down with me at verse four. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. The letter takes an interesting turn here and he, Paul is saying, after we helped start the church in Galatia and it was our time to leave, when we left, there were these spies who came in to see what remained. The, the language is, is military language of, of somebody you send in to gather information about a place that you will soon attack. And so the, these other men, the false brethren, came into the church to see what had been taught and then to use that, to twist that, to share false information, have truths that produce whole lies in the life of this church. So the primary argument was something like this. Paul taught that you need Jesus to be saved. And they said, well, that is wonderful, and that's true. But Paul didn't give you the whole message. Not only do you need Jesus, you need Jesus and and begin to list other things. You need Jesus plus this. You need Jesus and you need all the males in the room right now to go and get circumcised. If not, you are not saved. In a similar way, all of you need to change your diet immediately. If you do not take kosher food laws at lunch today, then you are not saved. It's Jesus and, and primarily the argument was, to be a Christian, you have to be Jewish. And said, you can follow Christ, but if you aren't Jewish, you aren't saved. And so they started to bring all that in together and say, Paul didn't finish the story. Here's the rest of the story that you must do. 
to be saved. But as verse 4 reminds us, you are no longer bound by these kinds of things. You are no longer bound by the law. We are found in Christ, this liberty, not under the constraints of that Jewish law. He says, they were spying on you. They saw you eating pork chops and pork ribs. And then the demands came. You cannot eat that and be a Christian. And as Paul writes, he says, this is, these are lies. Your teachers that are standing in front of you and proclaiming something that isn't the gospel, there is no such thing as Jesus and. There, there's no such thing in your salvation as Jesus and food laws. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't line up with who Jesus is and what Jesus did for us at the cross. See, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is your salvation is not dependent on your effort. This is not about you. This is about the work of Jesus Christ at Golgotha and salvation is completely found in that work of Jesus on the cross. If it was up to you, you would never meet those demands. But by the grace of God, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to meet those requirements so that you might be saved because you would never get there. You don't have the strength, the energy, or the effort to save yourself. And Jesus Christ did. And Jesus Christ does. It's not Christ and. It is Jesus Christ alone where we find our salvation. Now, when you, the things they mention here and talk about here with with circumcision or kosher food laws, certainly there are some benefit to those things. But they have nothing to do with whether or not you are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's another lie he gets to here in verse 6. Though another lie that they told is that your last name matters. That in the work of the church, in the work of the kingdom of God, or even in your salvation, your last name matters. Now, the truth is you are no longer defined by those external factors in the gospel. You see, as, as these false teachers came in, the half-truth that they were peddling in the church is this of reputation. Is it, we, we fret over reputation. This is one of the things that crosses many of our minds. We, we care about what people think of us. And, and so often we start to think that God cares about the same things. You see, we, we care what people think about the degrees that we have, the letters that come after our names. Or we know and we see people care about the titles that we hold. On, on this side of eternity, things like the right last name or the right title will open all kinds of doors for you that you wouldn't be able to come into any other way. You know, if you have a certain de degree, you can get a certain job. If you have a specific last name, you can attend exclusive events. This is the way of the world. And what they were teaching in the church is this is the way the church operates too. That it's about your degrees, it's about your titles, it's about your last name. Those are the important people. 
See, the false teachers were doing their best to implement this same kind of half-truth or whole lie inside the church that what matters most is whether or not you came from a Jewish family. What matters most is if you had a Jewish-sounding name. And if you had one of those, then you could be in leadership. If you had one of those, then you knew the truth, that if you did not, you were a lost cause. You see, to them, they could see how these things brought earthly favor. And they could even bring earthly favor into the church. A Jewish half-truth turned into a Christian whole lie. And you see how Paul responds in verse 6. Look, look down there with me at Galatians 2, 6. But from those who are of high reputation, and what they were makes no difference to me, God chose no partiality, well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. You see, his word here is God could not care less about what your last name is. God does not care one bit about what degree you have or what job title you have stumbled into. None of those things matter to your worth in the kingdom of God. In in the kingdom of God, all of those earthly things are set to the side. They are meaningless in his kingdom. Now, I will say this. It does matter who you know. But there's only one to know, the Son of God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And to those who know the Savior, that those that know Jesus, you are free. The doors have been open because you know the Son of God and you are a child of God, an heir with Christ when you know and experience Him. That if Jesus vouches for you, the doors of heaven are wide open. Now, the last one. So the last lie that they were peddling to the church is that your effectiveness in this life primarily depends on you. That they were saying that it's up to you whether or not you are successful. It's up to you whether or not you make it through. But I want you to see something with me in verse eight. For he, the Lord, who effectually worked for Peter and his apostleship to the circumcised, effectually worked for me also in the Gentiles. I want you to see this. The truth here is in God and in the kingdom of God, you are no longer the impetus. You are no longer the driving force in your life. Think back with me through Acts When Peter is preaching at Pentecost, the Spirit of God has come down and the people of God are being moved. This has everything to do with the Spirit of God and has nothing to do with whether or not Peter is eloquent. The same thing is true. A couple of chapters later, we see in Acts 5, as as Peter is is leaving the the temple, it says there, there are people gathering all the way around and they're falling in the streets hoping that Peter's shadow will touch them because they believe that that Peter is so close to Jesus that Peter's shadow will be able to heal them. But this has nothing to do with who Peter is. It has nothing to do with Peter's talent. We see in the gospel times where Peter seems to be a poor fisherman and Jesus is using him to do a mighty work. 
in the power of God. His effectiveness was not his own strength, but the spirit of the living God. The same thing is true. Paul talks about himself here too, and he's not comparing himself to Peter. Paul has all kinds of accolades in his own right that we see throughout the book of Acts. And he's not comparing himself. He's not saying, I planted all of these churches all over the known region. He's not saying, I was bitten by a venomous snake and should have died and didn't die. He's not, he's not saying, I'm better than Peter because I was stoned to death by a mob in the streets and yet God saved my life and I did not die. Wait, what, what he's saying is, Peter had wonderful ministry opportunities. I had wonderful ministry opportunities. And Scripture clearly states this had nothing to do with me. This had nothing to do with Peter. This is the power of the Spirit of the living God who made this effective in this ministry. It's not a, it's not a competition. It's not about who's a better person. It's not is Paul better or is Peter better. They were serving Jesus Christ, and he was their authority. You see, as we work through this life, and as we come into Christ, one of the things that we have to recognize is I'm not in charge of me. I'm not the driving force of this life that I live. And in fact, my effectiveness My success is tied directly to Jesus Christ and his work of the cross. You see, there's still part of us, there's still part of our flesh that wants to be in control. There's a part of it, we want to be the one calling the shots. There's so often in this life, we think that we can just will a certain kind of life into existence. But in Jesus, it's no longer up to you. When we come to the Christ, it's in submission to his lordship. So he's the one in whom we find effectiveness. He's the one that makes the work of our hands worthwhile. So this morning, I pray that you would submit then to the lordship of the Christ. And it's hard, e- even as believers, it's hard for us to hear that this life is, is not about me, or it's, it's not about us. See, the, the way we behave, you would think we want full control. You, you would think that we want full control over our heartbeat, that we want full control over our breathing, that we want full control over our futures. But I assure you, you in control will never work. I would want you to think about this with me. When when we try to control our breathing, that's the most awkward our breathing gets. It's it's the same thing in our life. When, when When we're trying to be the one in control, that, that's when it gets ineffectual. That, that's when it gets awkward. That's when it gets out of sorts. Right? Your breath is never more awkward than when you're trying to be the one to inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. It, it doesn't work that way, and life doesn't work that way either. Your life is disjointed when you take control from God. And see, so here's the wonderful thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that there is grace for all of us 
And for every time we have tried to steal that control from the hands of the Christ. See, when we finally let go, we can realize the truth of the gospel in full, that in God we find our purpose. In God we find our liberty. In God we find impartiality. In God we find our effectiveness. Apart from him, there's nothing but chaos. So are you ready then to submit your life to Jesus Christ this morning? Your life can be renewed in him this very moment. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to truth this morning to be able to call Satan's lies exactly what they are. To not be fooled by disguises or camouflage, but to know your truth in the person of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we we pray for every time that we have taken back control, we ask for your forgiveness. Lord, would you forgive us for running ahead of you? Lord, would you, would you forgive us from taking our detours? And Lord, we pray this morning that you would pull us back on course, that we might walk in perfect step with you. It's in the name of our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.